Hello, and welcome back to the Grace Downtown podcast. The Christian faith calls us to lives of discipleship. That means learning what it means to follow Jesus in our own lives and helping others learn how to follow him in theirs. If you're part of Grace Downtown, if you're an official member of our church, then we offer a special program to help get you started in this process and encourage you in it. It's called the Discipleship Catalyst. It's open to all Grace Downtown members and connects you with mentorship, exclusive classes, and training. If you're a Grace Downtown member who hasn't gone through this program yet, but you're interested in it, and honestly, if you haven't gone through it yet, you probably should be interested in it, then I want to take a minute to invite you to join us for the Discipleship Catalyst Open House. It's being held on Monday, May 2nd at 6.30 in the evening, and it'll give you a chance to meet the current crop of Discipleship Catalyst students, as well as a bunch of the alumni, and the chance to hear from guest speaker Reverend Tom Holliday. You can learn more about it on our website at gracedc.net slash downtown, and you can sign up for it there too. If you can't make it, but you definitely want to learn more, then I encourage you to email our Community Life Coordinator, Matt Miller. You can reach him at matt at gracedc.net. This week on the podcast, we're giving you a foretaste of the Discipleship Catalyst Open House by bringing you a sermon from Reverend Tom Holliday, who will be speaking there. The sermon is called The Virtue of a Disciple. We hope you enjoy it, and we hope to see you at the Open House on May 2nd. Now, here's Tom. Please open up God's Word to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. You'll find the text printed in your bulletin also, if you'd like to follow along. We are in the middle of a series on the subject of discipleship, followers of Jesus. That is far and away the favorite word in the New Testament for Christians. The word Christian appears only but a few times. The word disciple appears hundreds of times. Christians are disciples of Jesus. We've been looking, started last week looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. Hear the reading of God's word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's holy word. Would you please pray with me? Holy Lord, just a moment ago we sang and asked that you would speak to us, that we would have hearts to receive your holy word this morning, that you would plant your truth deep within us, that you would shape and fashion us according to your likeness. And so as we sang it, we pray it. Lord Jesus, please accomplish it. In your name we come and we ask. Amen. Disciples of Jesus, living a productive life. As we continue from last Sunday, we see that this language is right, right out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being unproductive or ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord. This morning we're going to look at the goal of the Christian life is to live a productive life. Secondly, we're going to look at the qualities of a productive life. And thirdly, the enabling power behind a productive life. As we noted last week, Simon Peter. I don't think it's by chance that Simon Peter is named here. Simon taking us back to the man that he was before he had this encounter with Jesus Christ. Simon, the man that he was before. Peter, the man that he became, just as Christ promised that he would. He would become a rock. A man who was radically changed by his encounter with Jesus. And so all of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, need to take stock and ask ourselves, how are we doing when it comes to the transforming process of the Holy Spirit? in our lives as followers of Jesus. Are we having the impact that God intends on our culture? Who's winning that war? The disciples or the world? So I think about this question. I think of comments made by Dr. J.I. Packer years ago at a conference in Europe. He talked about the church today and the condition of the church, his grave concern for the church at large. This is how he characterized the spiritual condition of the church today. The church today is suffering from a 1,000 mile wide, but a one half inch deep syndrome. I don't know what you think about Dr. Packer's assessment. Many would agree that The church at large today is very broad, but very shallow. John Stott, theologian, says, I wonder how you would sum up the Christian situation in the world today. For me, it's a strange, rather tragic and disturbing paradox. On the one hand, in many parts of the world, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. But on the other hand, Throughout the church, superficiality is everywhere. And that is a paradox 
growth without depth. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, observed, superficiality seems to be the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but of deep people. Deep people. It seems as though the time has come for the plow to sink deeper into the soil of discipleship. According to the Apostle Peter, our goal is to live a productive life in the language that we've been looking at this fall, bearing much fruit from John, producing much good works, according to Paul in Ephesians. In so doing, notice what Peter says in this passage, we confirm our calling in election. In other words, he's concerned about our assurance of salvation. How do we know if we really are Christians? And the Bible consistently addresses that question by saying, by living out your salvation, by living by the faith that you have been given, God's work, the goal is that we might live a productive life. As I mentioned last week, I want to come back to it today because it's so important. If if your Bibles are open, just look at verses 3 and 4 and just read them again to yourself. Now, whose action is that? That's clearly God's action. This is what God does for us that none of us can do for ourselves. We saw that in Ephesians. We see that in Peter. But but then read verses 5 and 6. This is referring to what we must do. Verses 3 and 4 is what is done for us Verses 5 and 6 is what is done by us. And it's critical that we understand that. A Christian is a partaker in the divine nature, as we saw last week. God's seed has been planted deeply within every Christian. Now, before you come to Christ, that seed has not been planted. That seed is planted as we are born again, born a second time, not physically, but a spiritual birth. And the way this works is you come to a new understanding. Becoming a Christian is never about coming to an old understanding. You come to a new understanding, and for the first time in your life, you realize that spiritual life is something that God gives. God plants that. Well, what's our participation in that? Well, it's only in as much as the Spirit is working that we realize, wait a minute, I never believed this before. I never understood this before. Now, all of a sudden, it makes sense. It's clear to me that I am dead spiritually without the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you see that, and you receive that gift of spiritual life. And God implants his seed in you, and now there is a new spiritual life growing within you. That is the case of every Christian. That's what the Scripture talks about over and over again, as Peter is. And so that, but once that happens, the seed has been planted, a new life is growing within us, 
we are now called to act out, to live out that faith and to grow in that faith and to make every effort to grow in that faith. So let's look secondly at the qualities of a productive life. Verse 5, for this reason make every effort. We saw last week that this is a fascinating Greek word, the word to add. Add to your faith. We saw that this word comes from the Greek world of stage and drama. That the, that the Greek word itself, uh, choregos, is a, is a patron of the arts. This patron of the arts would, would subsidize, would underwrite what the state was doing in terms of putting on dramas and plays. And so this choregos, now, now let me say this, you're the choregos. I'm the choregos. The choir master. We are the ones that Peter is saying that participate with the work of God in our spiritual growth. What, what is it that we add? What is it that we furnish or supply? Much effort, first of all. Much effort. Cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Yielding to the Spirit. Putting to death the flesh. There is nothing passive about growing as a Christian. It demands our full participation and effort and attention. And so Peter goes on to list eight virtues here. You might say that these also are the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is found not just in Galatians chapter 5, but in passages like this as well. These qualities are produced by the Spirit, yet with our effort and participation. And first of all, he says, your faith, to believe the promises of God. As we saw in, in the earlier verses, his precious and great promises. I think there's a, a particular reason why Peter mentions this first. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said of his generation a, a few generations ago, he said, I think the besetting sin in the world today is discouragement. He said that at a very difficult time in the history of the world, the Second World War. But I'm not sure that it's changed, that perhaps the besetting sin of our generation is discouragement. Have you noticed as you look around, as you observe, how the tentacles of discouragement have just gone so deeply, not only into the world, but into the church, into many Christians? That, that grip, that vice grip of discouragement, where it becomes more and more difficult, it seems, to believe the promises of God, to live on the foundation of the promises of God. You know, friends, this is what the saints of God have done for 2,000 years in the midst of very difficult times and situations. He says, faith is where it begins, hooking on to the promises of God, not by sight, but by faith. Add to your faith virtue, or goodness is, a, is another translation. Actually, what the word means literally is excellence. Add to your faith excellence, virtue, goodness. It, it denotes the proper fulfillment of anything. In other words, the purpose for which something exists. That's really getting at the, the, the idea here. 
So the purpose of a knife is to what? Cut. The purpose of a horse is to run. The purpose of a disciple is what? To bear the family resemblance, as we saw last week. We have been made partakers in the family of God. The family DNA is now in us, the Holy Spirit. The reason why we're here on this earth as followers of Jesus is to walk with Jesus, is to follow Jesus, is to point the world to Jesus. And that's true whether you're a student in junior high or you're in college or you're out in the workforce or you're at home or you're a senior. That doesn't change. That's the reason why we're here. If, we're, if we are disciples of Jesus, Interesting verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. This is what Jesus said. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay, no, no disciple is above his teacher, but when a disciple is fully trained, which is our calling to be trained and to grow, he will be like his master. He will be like Jesus. Virtue is becoming more like Jesus. It's theology becoming doxology. It's the things that we know about God actually leading us to worship God better. Our worship ought to be growing richer and deeper. Our theology, that what we know in our heads, ought to be capturing our hearts. And yes, we will have seasons of struggle, and we will have seasons of doubt. Some of us will. We'll go through hard times. But that, that is not the end of the journey. That may be a part of the journey, but it's not the end. Peter says our theology is supposed to lead to our doxology of worship. And then he says, add to your virtue knowledge. Knowledge putting our knowledge to work, I think it really has the connotation here of wisdom. Not knowledge for the sake of knowledge, and that can be a problem, right? You know, some of us may love to just read theology. We may love to just curl up and, and read, you know, Calvin's Institutes and all kinds of theological treatises, which are, are wonderful. But the purpose in reading theology is not to debate theology. It's not to show off what we know about theology. It's to lead to godliness. It's to really change us from the inside, to lead to doxology. Knowledge is spiritual insight and enlightenment. I want to read just a few verses this morning from one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 119. You know, this, some of you know the longest chapter in the Bible. This week when I was with my dad in the hospital, I, I said, Dad, can I read you a psalm? He said, sure, just not the 119th. <laughs> he wasn't quite himself, you know, a little woozy, so I, I didn't read the 119th. But, but listen to this. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. 
How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, I want you to hear me. This is really important, what I'm going to say next. It's just true. There's a reason why Peter puts this in this order. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Because without virtue, knowledge puffs up. Without virtue, knowledge makes us proud of what we know or of what we think we know. That knowledge has to be built on the foundation of a living faith and a moral excellence. That virtue of really becoming more like Christ. And then he says self-control. Add to your knowledge self-control, which means controlling our passions rather than being controlled by our passions. In the second chapter of 2 Peter, by the way, this epistle is written to believers that were struggling with many things. Hard times, disappointment, yes, but, but also false teachers that had infiltrated the church. He talks about them in chapter 2. But then in chapter 2, verse 17, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Verse 19 is in the context of what Peter's saying here about self-control. In other words, there was a group of people, teachers, who had come in among them and were basically teaching you don't have to take holiness that seriously. It's enough that you know, not that you do. And Peter says, you know, listen to those people. Listen and then ask yourself, are they walking their talk? And they're not. They're not living according even to the things that they teach. Why would you give them any credence? And have you noticed that they themselves are still bound and chained? That's the word he uses. Have you noticed? Sadly, how many Christian teachers you'd have to say, do as they say, not as they do. They're still chained. They're still chained. I've heard preachers on TV and radio just denounce certain sins and things of this world. And then to be saddened to learn out, find out later just how they've been living in the same sins themselves for not just a while, but for many of them for years. They're still chained. They haven't been unchained. 
Peter says, I want you to add self-control. And to self-control, steadfastness. Some of your translations say perseverance. You know what this word means? To remain under a difficult situation. To remain under a difficult situation and not bolt. Not throw up our hands and say, I've had enough, I'm getting out of here, I'm checking out, because this is just too difficult. You know, for myself, how I've been encouraged so much through my entire Christian life by those who I have observed, not bolting from difficult situations and circumstances. As a pastor, for a long time, I've seen so many examples of people who have endured very trying circumstances. And not perfectly, none of us do, but just looking at the cross and looking at what Jesus endured for us and stayed. That's perseverance. Patience is rooted in the promises of God. It's, say, it's saying sometimes, God, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I can't make sense of it. But I know because you're in my life, there is a sense to it. I know that there's a meaning to whatever it is that you've allowed to come into my life. And there's a purpose. And by your grace, I will stay. I will stay. I will stay by your grace. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's dear wife, what a wonderful lady. What a godly woman. There is such a depth to that woman, as, from little as I know in reading about her over the years and hearing her. You know what's written on her epitaph? You're going to like this. At the end of her life, on her, her epitaph, end of construction, thank you for your patience. <laughs> That's a great epitaph. End of construction. Now remember, we've seen that in this series. God not only has done a good work in us, but God is doing a good work in us now. Not just past, but present. He's the master builder. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do and to walk in them. Remember, we're, we're that piece of art. Dare we say, as F.F. Bruce did, you are God's masterpiece, and he's not through with you. You're still, you're still in. I'm still in. The art room. We're still in the studio. He still has, he still has those instruments in his hand. Whether it's a chisel or a paintbrush or a lathe, whatever it is, we're still in that studio. At the end of our life, along with Ruth Graham, may God give us grace to say, end of construction, 
Thank you for your patience, Lord. Add to your steadfastness godliness. Living in the presence of God, quorum Deo. It seems to me that that's almost a negative thing in our culture today. Have you noticed that? People today don't talk as much about being godly. It's almost like that's reserved for clergy. Or that's reserved for just a very few Christians. That's not taught anywhere in the Bible. That's for you and me. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, that is his name, not only because he is holy, but his job is to make us holy. And we cooperate with him as we yield with him as we repent, as he shows us, as he enables us, and we believe, and we become godly. Add to your godliness brotherly affection. This is the word Philadelphos, Philadelphia. We are to express our love to our brothers and sisters. And you might say, well, why does he have to say that? Isn't that a given? Well, no, it's not, actually. The truth of the matter is, is some of us, probably many of us, truth be, probably all of us, have trouble sometimes loving some of our brothers and our sisters. Fellow Christians, you're going to be with them in heaven, but sometimes we have a hard time loving them. We just find so much that's not so lovable. Peter says, this quality of brotherly affection is an important quality in the life of every Christian. Add to brotherly affection, love. It begins with faith and it ends in love. Doesn't, doesn't this remind us of what Paul says in Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 6? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything the only thing that matters, and I know many of you can quote this with me, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. If the faith is not leading to love, the faith is spurious. The faith is misguided. The faith is off track. Love. Faith working through love. These are not simply virtues to be admired or discussed, but to be lived out and prayed in. Verse 8, that we may grow in these. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want growth with depth, do we not? We do not want to be part of the problem that Stodd and Packer and others are talking about. We don't want to be Christians who are a thousand miles wide and a half an inch deep, do we? I don't. I want there to be a depth in my life, don't you? May God grow these qualities in us. May we make more effort to add to these things that he gives us. Verse 9 for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. He is blind and nearsighted. That's a strange order. How can someone who is blind be nearsighted? If a man is blind, this, this word means to blink, to shut the eyes. A person who willfully closes his eyes to the light. The person who is able to see earthly things that are nearby, but they can't see heavenly things that are far away. They have forgotten that their sins have been forgiven. In verse 10, to make sure your calling and your election are sure. Be diligent in this. Farm the land that he's given you, as we saw last week. Physical rehab. Boy, right out of surgery, what do they do? They get you into rehab right away. Otherwise, those muscles atrophy. Have you seen that in your own body? Well, I had knee, I've had knee surgery three times, and, and after knee surgery, I just could tell, even with, with rehab, the muscle just, just gets smaller and weaker. It's the same thing spiritually, friends. We need to be in spiritual rehab so that the muscles that we use grow and become more powerful and more useful. This enabling power behind a productive life, this divine nature that has been implanted on us, in us. God the master builder. God the master builder. He's not done with us. Don't give up. Don't give in. Thank him for his patience. Ask him for the work of his spirit in your life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask now, would you please give us grace to, to not give up and to not bolt from difficult situations. Lord, you've given us love and you've given us faith. You've made us divine partakers in Christ. And Lord, what we ask is that we would be a people who are maturing in our faith. Lord, we pray that there's a depth to our spiritual life. And so, Father, help us by your grace to make every effort. Help us this week to gather our manna daily. Help us this week to find rest in Jesus so that we might bear fruit for your glory. Amen.